This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Mr. Chief Justice, please the court. Can I watch? Let me watch. I mean, I want to see what happens. No? This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. What do we really know about death row in California? When we don't know, we create, we imagine. This man shot Walter Delacroix. Raped this boy is to be executed in six days. Do you know what you're getting into? On the day of my judgment, when I stand before God, what am I going Frank to say? Lewis Beecham suffer the death penalty within the walls of San Quentin State Prison for the crime of murder in the first degree with special circumstances. I've been reporting on prisons in California since June 2007. Every time I'd walk through the sally port of the prison, there to the left was death row. It was always a place that was off limits. Whenever I would ask, and I asked almost every time I went inside, are you sure I can't go inside death row? The public information officer would make it very clear that it was a flat no. No one in the press goes inside death row. I would ask them why, and they'd say, there's safety and security concerns. And that's kind of the standard response, safety and security of the institution. The only person who can really say you can go inside death row is the secretary of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, Matt Cate. Matt Cate, apparently you are the only one who can actually authorize press access. And so I wanted to ask you directly, I'd be willing to sign any waiver, I'd be willing to wear any protective clothing. Would it be possible to have press access inside these facilities? Death penalty, protective housing unit, and adjustment center. Well, it's a difficult um, problem, as you know. It's, it's, it's complicated. Um, uh, I'll consider it. Um, I'm happy to have a, a further conversation about um, you know, I, I don't. I, I do want people to see the conditions there, for example, because we've done a lot to improve the conditions at, at San Quentin. I, I go there myself on a pretty regular basis because it was pretty bad. Um, only you know five, six, seven years ago, the conditions there were really bad, and so I, I do want people to see that. The interview ended, and about two weeks later, I I got a phone call from the press office, and they said we're giving you access to death row. And that's when it all started. Afternoon, Lieutenant. How you doing, brother? Big man, big man. Okay, it is now June 11th. I'm headed into San Quentin State Prison with Lieutenant Sam Robinson to visit for the first time. Any press has been on 
in death row in the state of California in eight years. A gate closes behind me and then another gate opens. A long line of officers with guns are standing on a rail that goes up the walls. Their guns are aimed down. Their eyes are steeled on this wall of cell blocks. Five stories of caged men. There are three different sections of death row. The adjustment center is where everyone starts their death sentence and if they behave badly, it's where they go back to. North segregation is for a select few who have behaved well for years, and East Block is for everyone else. 500 men are sentenced to end their days in East Block. East Block structurally mirrors the majority of our major housing units here at San Quentin, and that they're all five stories high. I asked Lieutenant Robinson if I can interview the inmates in their cells. He says I can interview any inmate willing to talk to me. I approached the cell of a middle-aged man named Walter Cook. Hello. In 1994, a jury convicted him of three counts of murder and sentenced him to death. So you have a phone in front of yeah. your cell. Why? Do you make legal calls, talk to family, friends. How often do you have access to the phone? Uh, we get the phone like every, every other day, like once in the morning, once at night. Cook has been here on death row for 20 years. He has two kids, 120 and 121. They visit every other week. You have contact with your family, you don't have nothing. Mm. You have something to keep your sanity. But we're not like people portray us on the movies are, you know, these crazy, deranged people, you know. I get the pressure from TV that everybody, you know, this uh, child molester or rapist is not, you know. It seems like that's the, the stereotype that they, everybody here, that's what they are. Mm -hmm. You know, even the people that's innocent, they feel old. Oh, if you hear, you gotta be guilty. That's not necessarily true. Are you? No, I'm not guilty. You're not guilty. I'm not guilty. You're innocent. Yeah. You did not do it. No. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Oh, no problem. We move on to the farthest end of the tier. I notice there's a pink sign attached to the gate of the last cell. It identifies the inmate as visually impaired. No problem. His name is Justin Helzer. Hello. Hello. How are you? I don't I have a lot of medical problems. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm just doing a story about um, the conditions on death row. Okay. How do you feel about the conditions on death row? Um, well, from just speaking from a medical standpoint, it's hard to see the doctor. For instance, I'm, I can only see the doctor once every two or three months, unless it's a, a, a visible um, problem, then the nurse will schedule an appointment to see the doctor prior to my scheduled rotation. How long have you been here? I've been here uh, since 2005, but I've been, I've been, I, 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 was, I was arrested since 2000. I was, so I was fighting my case in county jail for five years. Are you guilty? Yes, I, I yes, I kill people. Yes, I did. I, you I, did I, kill people. Yes, I, I killed two people. Point is, is, is I'm not. I, 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 I wrote a letter of apology to the to the, uh, the the family members of the deceased. I apologized. It was erroneous. It was so misdirected. I'm so sorry, and I'm just. It's like another past life. It's another. I'm not so not that person anymore, and so I don't have a problem admitting what I did. I've taken responsibility for it. Um, I'm not proud of it. It was. A, 
to say it was a mistake was a huge understatement. I, 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 can't, I can't express how sorry I am. It was so unnecessary. But I don't want to talk about a case. I don't want to talk about a okay, case. Okay, okay. So, so, so you're, you have vision impaired? You're a vision... Uh, I'm totally blind. What it was, it was a suicide t attempt. I stuck two, two five-inch pens into my brain through my eye sockets. It didn't kill me. When did you do that? About a year and a half ago. Oh, I see. And so it left me blind and partially paralyzed. Ah, uh, so... I'm just tired of death row. It was, a bung, it was a failed suicide attempt. When he said that, I didn't know what to say. I just felt like I had to stay in my role as a reporter. And if he was going to say it so straight up, I felt like I had to take it straight up and just keep going. And that's what we did. How, how do you feel now that you're, you've done that and now you're living? Terrible. I still am terrible. I, 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 I'm not interested in committing suicide anymore. Like I said, that, that, was a, that was a year and a half ago. I've embraced my situation, but the conditions on death row are such that um, they're not good here. So while we talk, he's sitting on the edge of his bunk and he turns his face away from the cell door. I ask him what he thinks about the death penalty. It's just, it's all politics. It's, oh, death row, tough on crime. It's not a deterrent. Death, the death penalty is not a deterrent because what, I'll tell you why. One is when people do commit crimes, they are not thinking, oh my gosh, I, I might commit the, I might get the death penalty. I better not do this. They're in the moment. They want what they want. They have short-sighted. They don't foresee the consequences of their actions and they do because they're impulsive. They do whatever they do, whatever, whatever crime it is not thinking about the ramifications. So that so the, 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 the notion that the death, death penalty is somehow a deterrent is a false premise. What if and people society. say they want the death penalty just because they want people to be punished? Let me tell you. You can punish people plenty by giving them LWAP. He means life without the possibility of parole or LWAP. Besides, there are people here on death row 30, 40 years. And they haven't gotten killed, and they have a, they have a, they have so many more appeals that left to them. So no one's getting killed. No one's getting executed. How um, do you, how do you see the rest of your life? I don't know. I just take it one day at a time. Just one day at a time. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So we are now going into the Adjustment Center. I say once we step inside the facility, the officer at the door is going to want to see your ID again. He's going to ID you. And then as soon as we step inside and the door closes behind us, there is what we call a unit isolation log, which details all the movement in and out of the facility. Whether it be inmates or staff entering and exiting the facility, we document all the movement in and out of here. And so we'll sign into that as we enter into the Adjustment Center. Again, the Adjustment Center is a prison within a prison. Uh, our staff don't have the ability to leave the facility, the Adjustment Center themselves. There's an officer on the exterior of the facility um, who controls the key to in and out of the facility. The Adjustment Center 
is the place where every person sentenced to death in the state of California, unless they're a woman, starts their death row sentence. And they're put in boxes, like individual cement contained boxes. These individuals live in these cells alone 23 and a half hours a day. Security. Step inside the office here and put you inside. Okay. So they've brought me out a green vest. What kind of vest is this, Sam? This is a stamp proof vest. Oh. Uh, inside of prison, we're not necessarily worried a whole lot about people shooting at us. We're more worried about inmates having crude items that they've manufactured to uh, stab us or puncture us with. And so this vest here protects all of your vital organs. Because just because a guy is handcuffed and is escorted by two staff members here in the facility, it doesn't negate them from uh, acting out violently, such as kicking uh, our staff. Uh, there's actually one individual in here. Uh, this individual was identified in cell 1AC4. Uh, his name is Tuliapa. Over the course of the last couple of decades, um, he's actually re successfully retired four of our staff members here in this facility due to assaults that he's perpetrated on them. Those individuals were assaulted to the point that their injuries were extremely severe uh, and they were never, ever able to return to duty. This is the place in California where the most dangerous individuals who have committed the worst crimes, oftentimes gang leaders, are kept this is the worst of death row. You are here in the adjustment center. You're not, you're not functioning well anywhere else here in this facility. And this is the uh, highest security housing unit that we have here at this facility. I worked here in the adjustment center for three years as a supervisor. And uh, I'm an African-American male. And so it seemed like I would be offended by someone throwing out the N-word to me on a regular basis, right? I mean, you know, it just, uh, or it seemed like that I would have some type of sensibility about that. But working here in the adjustment center, uh, it, does, it just goes right over my head. Right. I mean, it's, I've been called it so, that so much here in this facility that it's, a, it's like saying blue or orange or whatever the case may be. It has no value or no meaning to it. He says when he was there, the cell doors were just bars and the inmates would throw feces and urine on the officers. They called it gassing. But in 2004, prison officials made that impossible. <laughs> it was drama here in the facility. Uh, we've changed the physical structure in here in that we've removed all of the bar fronts and, and replaced them with solid concrete cell fronts. And so the front of the cell is concrete, the sliding door in front of the cell is concrete, and so that's prevented the individuals from committing those assaults of gassings and darting our staff here in the facility. I stand alone, listen, and watch. Down the empty hall, I see a white envelope on a clear line of filament slide out from under one of the solid cell doors. It sits there for a moment. Then another white envelope attached to another line of clear filament shoots out and over the filament of the first. It's amazing. While I'm watching the envelope slide up and down the floor of the tier, Robinson walks up. How do they do that? Turn your practice. So how do they do it? They, they, they put it on a string. Put it on a string, slide underneath the, a little sliver under their door, which is less than a half of an inch. But how did, I mean, he's way, that was way down there. That must have been six cells down. 
Exactly. And then, and then, but how does he get it to come all the way down here? I don't understand how to do that. With momentum and inertia, uh, he's able to get it going in one direction. He may get some help from someone in the cell next to him, and they just keep moving it down the facility. By now, there are five envelopes shooting up and down the cement floor. The mail has arrived. The mail has arrived. And many times, it's in this facility, it's not just mail. It's something more devious than that. Robinson turns from the tier and waves Officer Taylor over. Hey, Paul, somebody just uh, fished something to sale for the team. So after we're done. In seconds, a team of six officers appear. Canisters of pepper spray and handcuffs are hanging from their thick belts. As they prepare to enter the tier, the officers place dark protective glasses over their eyes and disposable gloves on their hands. As the first black steel gate slides back, Robinson orders me to turn and follow him out of the area. Can I watch? Let me watch. I mean, I want to see what happens. No, I'm not allowed. Okay. Officers direct me out a back door to a yard of cages. There, Robinson stops to explain what's happening. Essentially, what's just taken place is we observed inmates receiving contraband because anything that they send down a tier on a fish line is considered contraband. If it, leave, if it leaves their cell headed to another individual, that's, it's illegal here inside the facility. And so essentially, our staff has went down a tier to remove that individual from his cell. Why, why can't I witness that treatment? Well, because as you can see, the, the facility, the physical structure of the Adjustment Center, there isn't a lot of space in here. And if things go sideways inside of there, you and I would just really be in the way. Uh, there was nothing that we could do. If they had to move that inmate out of well, they, that environment. Well, they are moving the inmate out of this, out of his cell. Because well, they, they have to go inside and search the cell. Would they hold him outside in that open area? They would either hold him outside in the open area or they may bring him to the middle, to the uh, center holding cell. Uh, that you that we walk past here in the facility, would he either or. Would he res resist that? You never know. You never know. Do you want to talk to press? No. All right. Robinson said that I can talk to any inmate who will talk to me. America, you want to talk to me yet? As you can see, as we move them, we move them one inmate in the facility at a time. In comes the next inmate. He doesn't want to talk to me either? Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by officers. The inmate has an officer at either elbow and an officer behind him with a baton. You want to talk to him? I'm supposed to say, what would you like to tell me about your life inside solitary confinement in the adjustment center on the record for public radio? And each of the inmates looks at me, are you sure you don't want to talk to me? And like, I'm a crazy? No, I can't. I'm sorry. Why, why can't you? I just I don't want to. Do you think you'll get in trouble or something? No, I just don't. You know, they have to go back back to the yard and deal with their comrades. Sure? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. You want to talk to the press? What's going on? I'm a member of the press. Would you be willing to talk to me about your life? Yeah. Really? The inmate is placed inside the black holding cell in the hallway. His handcuffs stay on. And he turns around and he looks at me. My name is Carmen Ward. Okay. Conditions here in the Adjustment Center are horrendous, unfair, biased. 
It is restricted in everything you do, everything. What the Adjustment Center is for is for a brief punishment, right? Prison is violent, I get that. But at some point, people have to be told when their punishment ends. Ward's been in the Adjustment Center for seven years and says he has no idea when he'll be able to leave. Robinson says there's a process for getting out of the Adjustment Center, but that Ward has yet to follow it. One thing that's become clear to me is that a prisoner's quality of life on death row is heavily impacted by whether or not they follow the prison rules. If inmates behave in accordance with the rules, if they're compliant, there's a chance they can be transferred to North segregation. Okay, here we go. Robinson and I walk to a cage at the end of a long walkway. He reaches over for a phone at the side of the cage. Drop the bucket. All right. What does that mean? Drop the elevator. Yeah, North Segregation is actually six stories up, and it's an isolated housing unit that was designed many, many years ago uh, to house our death row population. North Segregation, the most desired unit of death row. North Seg is where you get to go if you don't have any problems. If you are good on death row, this is where you want to be. On the other hand, it's also where they send you on a death watch. So when you are up for an execution, that's where you go. When we reach the top, we step out to a hallway and a series of locked gates that lead to one floor of 68 cells. The inmates who live in this facility are in a much different environment than what we just witnessed over in the Adjustment they're Center. They're walking around. And that they're walking pretty freely. Uh, it's in a contained environment. In the Adjustment Center, no one walks a tear freely. No. Here in North Seg, they walk the tear and uh, I believe they release them out of their cells at about, at about 7 o'clock in the morning. And essentially they hang out until about 1.30 in the afternoon. We're going up some stairs from the cells to the yard. To the yard for North Segregation. At the top of the stairs, the door opens out to a roof and a beautiful west-facing view of Mount Tamalpais. Wow, what a view. Most of the men uh, on the other side of the fence are just standing over in the distance, and I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me. Hello. All right, but how's it going? She goes to talk to people about the conditions. One of the men wearing dark sunglasses approaches me, and uh, we start to talk. His name's Curtis Irvin. This particular program is not a true reflection of the entire death row, because this is quote unquote a, an honor program. What, what's the honor part of it? Well, we, there are more privileges. There are more privileges than, you know, than East Block death row. More how you, movement. How do you get on North Block death row? Uh, just waiting list. <laughs> so <you> <laughs> <laughs> no write-ups. Uh, you know, no. No, no 115s. No 115s. No. You, know. you have the opportunity to put your name on a list 
And the only way someone's going to get off the top of the list is if they are executed or they die of natural causes or they commit suicide. How do I know if somebody's willing to talk to me if I just go past? Should I just yell out? We make our way back down to the north segregation tier and I'm allowed to walk along the tier and interview again anyone who's in a cell who's willing to talk to me. And one of the men, one of the cells I approach is the cell of Douglas Mickey. So this, ooh, you have a nice lighting. Yeah. How did you design that? I uh, just put a piece of paper on a lamp. Uh, it's, uh, it's better than a bright light. Oh, much There's better. There's kind of a glow, like an orange glow in his cell. He sleeps on the floor and uses the surface of his bed as a desk. You sleep on the floor? Yeah. Let me see. And he says he was a country boy. How long have you been here? Since 83. 83. And murder one? Actually, I got it for jaywalking. Come on. Yeah, that's what you're here for on death row. Okay, so um, in 1980, he was convicted of two first-degree murders and sentenced to death. And I've been a hunt fishing guide up Alaska, and I really love the outdoors, but I could, I could survive in here. I found, I, you know, I could stay productive. You don't have any trees, though. I got one right here. So he reaches down. I see, he says he has a tree, and I'm thinking a tree, and he reaches down and he holds up. Bonsai. This six-inch-high macrame tree in his hands. She's taking a picture of your tree. Wait, wait, pull it back just a bit. Okay. All right. Take it easy. Tell Jerry I said hi. (laughs) Okay, where are we going now? And this is... Mr. Uh Irvin, you're playing. Go ahead, keep playing. Keep playing. I want to record. Okay. It's time to go. It wasn't, was it? I follow Robinson back down the tier, through the security gate and out the big steel doors. Bye. Passing guards and guns. Bye. 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 It's a relief to be outside the cell block walking in the warm sunshine. It's a feeling the condemned men I've just left behind will probably never have. And it occurs to me that the men I've just spent time with are probably never going to see another reporter in their lifetime. Now, when I ask if I can go back on death row, it's no. I ask if any other reporters are going on death row, and it's no. Do you have any plan for letting any reporters go on death row? No. It was a one-shot deal. For Life of the Law, I'm Nancy Mullane. The Life of the Law is produced by Shannon Heffernan, Julia Barton, and Caitlin Prest. Our web editor is Mary Adkins. Music by Kyle Kaplan, Matthew Darr, and Todd McDonald. Financial support is from the Open Society Foundation, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. For more on this story and other stories on the law and the legal system, visit our website at lifeofthelaw.org.
Thank you. That was lovely. <laughs> you could keep going, I'm sure. So did you did you want to say anything more? No, I'll write to you. I see, I, other than just being here, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing innocence on my case. So other than uh -huh. being here, you know, I have, you know, under the circumstances, it could be worse. You know, I just count the blessings I have that I have, you know. That's, you know but uh, it could be worse. Yeah. Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American, married to a Colombian Mexican American, and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> nah, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.